good to see you. And uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here. And uh, hey, just a couple things before we get, get rolling this morning. <clears throat> uh, build off what Pastor Dave said, our annual meeting tonight, we would love for you to come. Whether uh, you've been part of our church for a long time or uh, are brand new, just come and hear about what the Lord's up to here at Wallace C. And uh, if you can't make it, uh, there are copies of the annual report at the Connect desk, as well as some info on uh, just some of the things we're voting on tonight and kind of our elder process and all that good stuff. So if you, you just can't make it for whatever reason, that info is at the Connect desk for you. And then uh, one other thing I wanted to uh, just uh, call to your attention publicly. A couple Sundays ago, uh, a couple weekends ago, there were some big storms kind of went through the area. And that Sunday morning, a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you noticed, but um, things maybe looked a little different in here, sounded a little different. Well, it turns out, uh, I wasn't here that morning. The crew came in, and uh, some of the amps were down, and uh, some of the equipment wasn't working, and I think it was probably due to a lightning strike nearby. Uh, but there were a group of guys who really worked hard to get everything up and, and running that day. And uh, many of them uh, back in the back this morning, especially Mark is back there. And uh, just grateful for you, Mark, Tim, uh, for your, you guys' whole crew uh, getting things up and going. And so you'll notice it might sound a little different the last couple of weeks with just kind of these speakers they've got set up on stage, kind of makeshift. If, if you're online, I'm glad you're with us and it might sound a little different to you. But just know uh, we're working on that problem and uh, trying to do that well and plan well. So it might be like this for a few more weeks, but then by God's grace, we'll, we'll get some quotes, get some things fixed. And uh, anyway, just Mark, I just want to say thank you and Tim, you guys publicly. So thank you. Well, we are in a, a short series uh, called It's All About Jesus, and that's our first core value as a church. It's all about Jesus, and last week we saw it's all about Jesus, right? And uh, today we're going to see that the church is all about Jesus, and so we're working our way through a short passage in Colossians chapter 1, uh, a passage that's probably, in my opinion, the most eloquently penned description of Jesus ever written. It, it is so theologically rich. And today, you're going to have to use your head a little bit today. Is that okay? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, theology of the church. We're going to talk a little bit about the Trinity. And so you got to get your thinking cap on. It's going to be uh, maybe a little more theological today than, than some Sundays. Uh, but that's where we're headed today. And uh, in Colossians chapter 1, in verse eight, 18, excuse me, uh, this will be our launching point this morning. Uh, the, Paul writes to the church in class, he says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. You know, there's a lot of metaphors for the church throughout the New Testament, and one of those being the metaphor of the body, and that Jesus is the head of that body, the church. But you know, as we get going this morning, it might be helpful if we're going to talk about the church, let's just define it. If we're going to say Jesus, if the church is all about Jesus, what is the church? How would you describe the church to somebody? If somebody came to you and they said, hey, what's the church? What is it? What would you say? Well, uh, you can kind of think of the church in, in two different categories we're going to use this morning. Uh, the first off, the church is local. There's, there's the local church. Wabasi Bible is a local church. The local church is just simply a, a local group or assembly of believers who, who gather together to worship Jesus. They're God's people in a specific place 
at a specific time. That's the local church, right? And you might think of the local church with a lowercase c, with a lowercase c. It's the local church. And uh, another way you could describe the local church is the visible church. It's the church we see. So the local church is the church in a particular place at a particular time of a particular group of people, and it's kind of a lowercase c, and you'll understand why I say that here in a moment. And it's, it's the visible church. It's the church as we see it and experience it. Now, uh, the second way that the New Testament talks about the church is, is not only as the local church, but as the universal church. Universal church. Now, uh, what do we mean by that? Well, in this case, what we mean is all of God's people in all places at all times, throughout all time. Because there's more than just us. Do you know that? I want to break that to you if you didn't know that yet. There, there's more people in the church than just us. And, uh, and that's a great, great thing. And so the universal church is, is all of God's people in all places and, and really throughout all time. And every local church, lowercase c, is part of, they're just like a small Sunday school class of the universal church, and this is the one we're going to say capital C, the church capital C. Uh, and this church, you might describe if the local church is visible, the, the universal church is the invisible church. It, it's, it's visible, in other words, it's, it's the church as God sees it. Now, why do I say that? Well, because the, the people who are part of the universal church, all of God's people in all places throughout all time, are people who've put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. That's what makes a person a part of God's church, of Jesus' church. And I don't know about you, but I can't see into everybody's heart. Can you? Sometimes I'm confused about my own heart, let alone everyone else's. And, and so uh, I, I can't see into your heart and know, have you really trusted Jesus? But do you know who can? Jesus can. God can. And so the universal church is the invisible church, the church as God sees it. Because in every local church, ours included, th there's people who, who gather together, who come, who've been a part of the church for a long time, uh, likely, anyway, who've, who've never trusted, truly trusted Jesus with their life. And uh, if you haven't done that, you ought to. What's the holdup? Give your life to him. Become part of his church, capital C, and, uh, and give your life to Jesus. We'll talk more about that a little later this morning. But in the New Testament, the, the word church is applied to both of these groups, to the local church and to the universal church. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Um, in Romans 16, Verse 5, Paul calls a church that meets in the house of, of Prisca and Aquila, the church in their house, he calls it the church. Tiny little group in their house. And a lot smaller houses than most of us have. So it's a small group of people is referred to as the church. And, and when Paul actually makes it to Rome then, because this was written to the church in Rome, he, he gets to Rome and he's writing to another church in Corinth. He references their church again where he talks about Prisca and Aquila in 1 Corinthians 16, and he says, together with the church in their house, they send you hearty greetings in the name of the Lord. And notice there's another reference to churches here, churches of Asia. Well, uh, sometimes churches in a region or in an entire city in the New Testament are referred to as the church. For example, 1 Corinthians again uh, started off in that letter. Paul starts off, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, 
again, a local church, right? In a particular city, in a particular place, particular time. But notice what else he says. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those, check this out, with, with all those who in every place, all those, I think that'll be highlighted, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the universal church. The universal church. And, and you see both there. Furthermore, sometimes the church in a region, not just a city, is referred to as a church. Acts 9.31 the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And then the church is referred to as the universal church by Paul and others in the New Testament. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5 that Christ loved the church, capital C. Uh, God has appointed, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, in the church, universal church, the whole church, not a particular one, apostles and prophets and teachers. So, why do I bring all that up? Just because at different times today, when we talk about the church, we're going to be talking about it in both senses a lot of times, as, as our local church, as maybe a church in our area or region, as, a, as the church as, as a whole. And guess what? Jesus is the head of all of them. All of the church, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And the group of God's people at any level, from a tiny little house church to a, a tens of thousands of people in a mega church, is the church. And is a church. And uh, it's good for us to remember that, that just maybe our flavor of church isn't the only flavor out there. But God's church is so, so big. And in our text today, uh, Paul, I think, is clearly speaking of both the, the local church and the universal church, that Christ is the head. Now, if we're talking about what the church is, sometimes it's helpful to know what the church isn't. So should we go down that road a little bit? I'll give you a handful of things the church is not. First off, the church is not a building. Did you ever do this when you were little? Maybe in Sunday school class, right? And, and you kind of put your hands together like this. You said, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Except there's a problem with that. It's not theologically correct. Here's the church, or no, here's the building. Here's the steeple. Here's the church. That's how the Bible describes the church. I know we call our building a church, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you should know when the Bible refers to the church, it's talking about the group of people who gather to worship God and worship Jesus. Second, you should know the church is not a single denomination. It's not like us four and no more, you know? Uh, for instance, uh, maybe you've heard the joke of uh, a group of people got to heaven and Peter's walking them around all the mansions of heaven, and he's walking down one hallway, and he says, hold on, shh, we got to be quiet when we go this way. And they're like, well, why, Peter, why? And he says, well, and I'm going to pick on this group because this is, this is my background as I grew up, so it's no offense to you if this is your background. And he goes, well, the, the Lutherans are over here, and they think they're the only ones here. So we got to be quiet. Now, sometimes that could be said about any denomination, couldn't it? Sometimes even, even us, we can feel like we're right, everybody else is wrong, and, and we got the corner market on the church. But that's not true. It's not a single denomination. In fact, the church is a huge family. You know, that metaphor is really helpful to think of the church, and we use it a lot in our church, of uh, thinking of the church as family. So <clears throat> our immediate family, that's us right here. Well, obviously, Bible, this is our immediate family, right? And we gather together each week to worship and to love the Lord and, and uh, sing about him and learn from his word. And then we have an extended family. 
uh, you know, all of our cousins and sisters and third cousins removed. And that would be the evangelical free church that we're a part of. And so there are a number of sister churches we have who are part of that extended family. And then if you want to take it out even further, you can get to the universal church, and that's the whole family tree of God's people. And, uh, you know, have you ever noticed, like, sometimes in your family, you've got some people and some cousins who, uh, they have a different last name, but they're related, but they go about life a little different because they grew up different, and you know what I'm talking about? But they're still family, aren't they? Well, that's the universal church. to, To a degree, that's even the free church, our extended family. And in the universal church, we have all kinds of different family traditions and backgrounds, and some of our cousins and, and sisters and brothers, are, some of them are kind of uptight, some are easygoing, some are a little weird, some think we're a little weird, but it's all God's big, huge, extended family, and it's not just one denomination, is it? So the church is huge, some often a lot bigger than we might think of it. Number three, uh, try to move a little quicker here. The church is not a business. It's not a business. As I said, it's family. Some people, though, they'll tend to view the church, view the church as a business, but it's a family. That being said, there are principles of business that apply to a church, especially as it grows. I mean, you've got to take care of financial management. You have some civil responsibility with government filings you have to do. There's hiring and managing of staff as you grow and organizing and leading a big group of people. And so there's, there's principles of business that apply in some certain areas of business that are there. But at its core, the church is not a business. It's God's people. It's, it's a family, right? But your family, I would imagine there's probably some business that your family has to do too. Do you pay your taxes? I hope so. Um, and uh, you've got to do some things as a business, even as your family, don't you? That's part of a family here in North America. Uh, here's, a, here's the next one. Uh, the church is not a country club. It's not a country club. It's not. In other words, it's not a social club at its core. Now, that being said, I hope for you that you have tons of friends in the church. That's, that's my hope for you. In fact, it's one of our core values, right? Uh, In addition to it's all about Jesus, we say we all need friends. We need friends. God created us to need that. But but we're not merely a club. I mean, social clubs have presidents. They have agendas. They have dues that you have to pay. They have rights that get associated with those dues. And social clubs are exclusive, but not the church. The church is inclusive. It's for any who would come to believe upon the Lord Jesus. And we like to say it, all people matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your intellect or your age or what's been done to you. You matter to God. You are loved by the ruler of the universe and by Jesus, the head of the church. And therefore, you matter to us. And you're loved by us. Now, Jesus loves you a lot better than we ever could. So turn to him first, but know that, that our, our heart is to love you and care about you. And uh, we hope you join God's family, if you haven't yet, by putting your faith in Christ. Number five, here's a fifth one. Uh, I might shock some of you on this one. The church is not from one political party. I got to laugh the first service. The, the church is not just one political party. Do you know that? It's not. No, it's not. 
because uh, we're on Jesus' agenda, not our own. Um, every political party, they want to claim Jesus, but I have yet to find a political party that's 100% devoted to following him. How about you? Yeah. Um, let alone, uh, the church is also not a single nation or a single ethnicity of people. It's all people everywhere from all walks of life. And uh, one thing I should say, if you're new, one of the things uh, you'll see to be true is that you'll never uh, see me or another leader in our church get up here and, and push a political agenda or endorse a political candidate. And it's not that we don't have our own views on those things and, and what, what we would do or that we're involved or just ignorant of those things. It's that, you know, as a family, we're about more than that. And if you're going to be offended when you come, I want you to be offended because this is a hard word. Who can take it? Not because of some political view. And people, different people in our church view things differently. And as family, we want to move forward and go forward with what we're really about, which is Jesus. Amen? Uh, number six, the church is not your ticket to heaven. It's not your ticket to heaven. mm you know, because here's the reality. You can, you can spend your whole life in the church. You can be born in the church. You can be uh, baptized, even like I was as an infant in the church. Then you can grow up in the church going to Sunday school and going to church and, and learning and memorizing scripture even. And, and then you can serve in the church. And then you can come to faith. Or, oh no, this isn't true. You, you can uh, become confirmed in the church. You can't come to faith, but I just blew up my illustration. You can... Uh, <laughs> You can get confirmed in the church. You can get baptized in the church. You, you can uh, live your whole life serving and giving to the church. And then you can die and have your funeral in the church. But you'll spend your eternity in hell if you never trusted Jesus Christ. See, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like uh, sitting at Taco Bell and eating a lot of chalupas doesn't make you a chalupa. You'll start to look like a chalupa. You might start to smell like one but you don't become one. You can hang out here and you, you might start to look like a Christian and even smell like one and act like one, but until you put your faith in Jesus, you're not a Christian. Don't make that mistake. Coming to church isn't your ticket to heaven. And then seventh, uh, and we could list a whole ton, but I'll, just, I'll stop at seven, get around number. Uh, the church is not primarily here to meet your needs. It's not here to meet your needs. Let me just you know, stick your feet out a little bit so I can jump on them. Uh, the, the church isn't here to meet your needs. We're, as I said before, we're on Jesus' agenda. Now, let me clarify here. Do we meet people's needs? Do we try to and want to? 100%. Because we love people. We want to help people. And if you have some needs, we want to help you meet those. But our primary goal is not to meet just simple superficial needs it's to meet spiritual needs deep-seated needs that that you would love and know your savior that you would love and know jesus sometimes the pathway to that is to meet physical and earthly needs but that's not our primary purpose we don't stop there we're about more than that and and because if we were all about just meeting people's needs uh, I don't know about you, but oftentimes, most people, myself included, when we say we need something, we're really a lot more like my five-year-old son, Charlie. When he says, I need this, Dad, I need ice cream tonight. No, you want ice cream tonight. You know, our, our needs are actually just things we want, and it would be never-ending. What people need 
is the gospel. They need Jesus. Because like we read this morning, he is the head of the church, the body. One more thing on, on kind of this, this topic as we kind of launch into um, uh, looking at Jesus as the head of the church then this morning. You know, every person, um, every one of us, every leader, uh, we all have um, certain things that are our things. And so I just want to, I thought this might be a good, good time to re, uh, reintroduce or bring up again kind of a dichotomy sometimes you'll hear me say or that we'll use as a church called uh, our th- your thing, my thing, and our thing. You have your thing, did you know that? Everyone in this room, you all do. You all have your thing, the thing that you're excited about. And what I mean by that is your personal interests, the things you like, the things you want, the things you enjoy. And I have my thing. I have my things, the things I like, my personal interests, the things I enjoy. And uh, I don't know, what, it is, what is it for you? You might say that uh, my thing is fishing. Man, I love fishing. That's, that's not my thing, just so you know. Uh, my thing is, is hunting. My thing is camping. My thing is baseball. Uh, whatever sport, a certain basketball team or football team, you might say my thing is Indiana football, you're going to have a good year. You might say, my thing is Purdue football, you're going to have a normal year. <laughs> you, what is your thing? My thing is gardening. My thing is fill in the blank. Who knows what? What's your thing? And it might be a cause. You know, my thing is helping these types of people. My thing is uh, I enjoy serving in this type of ministry or with these types of people who are in need or my thing, I just love this particular neighborhood or this business or, or uh, this restaurant or my thing is, uh, is this uh, method of schooling our children or my thing is this type of music or the list goes on and on and on, right? And we all have them. And they're all good things. There's nothing wrong with any of them. The problem comes in, though, when I try to take my thing and say it has to be your thing And then I take it further and I say, you know what, it's going to be our thing. It's not our thing. It's my thing. And your thing doesn't have to be my thing, and it certainly doesn't have to be our thing. Do you see see what I'm saying? As a family, we all have these things we're passionate and excited about, and let me say, go do those things. God's put those things in your heart. Do them to his glory and, and for his glory and others' good and your joy. Go do it. Do it, and I'm going to cheer you on. But don't try to make it everyone else's thing, because we have a thing. And it's the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. And the church, the church's thing, is that it's all about Jesus. So let's look at that this morning. And we're going to move fairly quickly, but in, in three ways, okay? Three ways that Jesus is the head of the church and that it's all about him in the church. In fact, let's just open up again to Colossians chapter 1. In verse 15, uh, in many ways, that was just kind of a really long introduction this morning. Uh, chapter 1, verse 15, I'm going to start there and read through verse 18. Paul writes this. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
Then in verse 17, and it says, look at this. He is before how many things? All things. You know what that includes? That includes everything. It includes your thing. It includes my thing. He's before all of it. He's our thing. And in him, all things hold together. And then verse 18, we read this. He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, everything, he might be preeminent. It's all about Jesus. And the church is all about Jesus. Now, uh, notice he says he's the head of the body, the church. I I can't remember if I said this earlier or not, but the church, that word uh, is a translation of a Greek word, uh, ekklesia. And ekklesia is, is translated as church a little over 100 times in your New Testament. But you know, uh, that, that word literally doesn't mean church. It was, it was common in Paul's day in Greek. It literally means assembly or gathering. Uh, there's nothing actually inherently spiritual about the word ecclesia at all. Uh, in a literal sense, it means assembly. And sometimes in the New Testament, it's even translated as assembly. It, it was not and is not a religious term. It doesn't mean church every time it's used or house of the Lord. It, Certainly doesn't mean temple, but it was widely used to describe a gathering or assembly, a civic gathering even, or an assembly of soldiers. But the thing about ecclesia is it was a gathering of people for a specific purpose. So when we talk about the church, when it's translated as church, we're a gathering of people, a group of people, God's people, who gather for a specific purpose, right? Because Jesus is the head of the church. It's all about Jesus. And, and so let me give you three things this morning of why the church exists and why we gather. Uh, we gather specifically, the church exists, number one, to worship Jesus. To worship him. Uh, this is our thing, to worship Jesus. Uh, to worship, uh, our English word worship comes from some old English, worth-ship. means to express worth, to give glory to Jesus, and, and we exist to, to worship him, to put him first in all things, to, to give him glory. It's all about him. That's, our, that's one of, again, it's the title of this series. It's our first core value. It's all about Jesus. But, you know, sometimes when we say that, um, it, can, it can raise a little bit of a question. Here I'm going to uh, make you dive with me theologically a little bit again, okay? Uh, what about... The other members of the Trinity? What about the other persons of the Trinity? If I say it's all about Jesus, am I ignoring the Father? And what about the Spirit? Because God is, ready to just have your head hurt a little bit? God is one, one God, who exists eternally in three persons who are in loving relationship with themselves. One God, three persons. And you're like, Josh, how does that work? And I just say, I don't know, but it's in the Bible. I believe it. I don't totally get it. We had this discussion at our board meeting this week. Again, we were looking at this passage. And uh, all three persons of the Trinity are fully God. They're fully worthy of glory, fully worthy of our worship, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, uh, within the Trinity, there's, there's hierarchy and authority. God the Father is the head. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Verse 3, Paul says that Christ is the head of the church, and then he says God, meaning God the Father, is the head of Christ. 
So there's, there's hierarchy in the Trinity. Um, all three persons live in that relationship with one another eternally. Uh, so let's just work our way through. What about the Father? When we say it's all about Jesus, are we ignoring then God the Father? Well, uh, look at Philippians chapter 2 with me. Chapter 2, starting in verse 9, Paul says, uh, Therefore God, and this would be God the Father, has highly exalted him. This is God the Son. This is Jesus. So God the Father has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So in other words, he's given him the, the greatest name. He's given him the greatest authority so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That, that kind of covers everywhere, doesn't it? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, so God has delighted, God the Father has delighted to exalt the Son, to give him the name that's above every other name, the name at which every knee will bow. And he delights to do that. But notice, so when we do that, when that happens, who gets glory? To the glory of God the Father. So in a, in a very real sense, when we say it's all about Jesus, we're giving glory to the Father as well. Uh, furthermore, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, we see more ways that the Father delights to exalt the Son. Uh, look at verse 5 here in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Right of Hebrews says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, uh, You're my Son? Now what he's implying here is that, but he did say this to God the Son. He did say this to Jesus. To which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I've begotten you. By the way, begotten, when we speak of Jesus as the only begotten son, it doesn't mean that he was made or that he was created. Begotten means to bring forth or, or to raise up, to rise up. Uh, so Jesus was brought forth, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or, or again, uh, I'll be with him, I'll, I'll be to him, excuse me, a father, and he shall be to me a son, speaking of Jesus. And in verse 6, it uh, goes on, and again, when, when he brings the firstborn into the world, that's Jesus, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Why would they worship him? Because he's God. God the Father says, let all the angels worship him, worship Jesus, bow before him. And then look at verse 7. And of the angels, he says, well, he makes the angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. They have a great role in being messengers of God. But of the Son... He says, your throne, O God. Now, now you want your head to hurt a little bit? God the Father says of the Son, your throne, O God. He calls the Son God. And he says, your throne is, is how long? Forever and ever. And the scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom. God the Father says all these things, gives all these things to the Son. Look at verse 9. You have loved righteousness and, and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, God the Father, your God, now this, I'm still, my head's starting to hurt. God the Father called God the Son God, and now he says to God the Son, I'm your God. Oh, I, I don't totally get this, but it's, but it's true, and it's, it's incredible. And by the way, I'm glad I don't totally understand God, because that wouldn't make him much of a God, would it? Therefore, God, your God, God the Father, and the Son, has, has, has anointed you, the Son, with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Look at verse 10. And you, Lord, 
speaking to Jesus, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And in verse 11, and, and they'll all perish, but you will remain. They'll all wear out like a garment, but you'll roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they'll be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. The Father delights to exalt the Son. So when we say it's all about Jesus, the Father seems to say it's all about Jesus, doesn't he? We're not neglecting the Father. It might sound like that, but we're not. We're just recognizing the person of the Trinity whom we'll see. So what about the Holy Spirit? Well, um, Jesus says this about the Spirit in uh, John chapter 14, 14, 15, and 16. He says a lot about God the Spirit. Uh, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and, and he will give you another helper, meaning the Spirit, uh, to be with you forever, another person of the Trinity. In verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him or knows him, See, uh, when you become a Christian, you receive that helper. You receive the Holy Spirit. He, he dwells within you to help you. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, fast forward to chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... So we see Father, Son, and Spirit. What will he do? Well, the Spirit's a person, not an it. He will bear witness about me, Jesus says. So everything the Spirit does bears witness about who? Jesus. In a sense, the, the very ministry of the Holy Spirit is to help us recognize and know it's all about Jesus and to live in, in that power Chapter 16, uh, Jesus says more and more, he gets to about the Spirit, and when he gets to verse 14, he actually says, he, the Spirit, will glorify me. So the work of the Holy Spirit is always to point to and give glory to and honor to Jesus. And when the, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, it's always to give glory to and honor to and to make you more and more like Jesus and to draw your heart to Jesus. So we can rightly say it's all about who? Jesus. Uh, we saw clearly last week that Jesus is himself God. He deserves our worship. It's all about him. And we see that he's the head. He's the head of the body, the church. Now, what does that mean? There's, there are a lot of metaphors for the church in the New Testament. And the body we mentioned is one of them. With Jesus as its head, Basically, what Paul's saying here is that Jesus is in charge. He's the one who's in control. In fact, he owns the church, Jesus does. He gave his life to purchase the church. He, he died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. He rose from the grave to prove that he had completely paid for our sin and purchased us with his blood and given us his righteousness. And he's in charge. Make no mistake. It's his church. You know, Paul writes a lot about Jesus being the head of the church, not just here. He also says to the church in Ephesus uh, in chapter 1, he says, And he, the Father, put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. He gave Jesus to the church. 
But notice how he gave him to us. John 3.16, we know that, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right, as a sacrifice for our sin on the cross, as our redeemer. And we also see, though, that he gave him to us as head, as, as the authority, as the one who's in total control. It's a, it's a gift that Jesus is in control, and that he's in charge of the church, including this one. I don't know about you, but that's really good news, that, that Josh isn't the one in charge around here. I might get to lead here for a while until Jesus raises somebody else up to lead here. But ultimately, Jesus is the head of our church, isn't he? The church is all about Jesus. In fact, um, every authority, Paul tells us, he tells the Romans in chapter 13, that, that every governing authority, every authority actually is, is given by God as a gift. That even means sometimes the authorities we don't like so much. But who will they ultimately give an account to? To God. And so my role is to honor them and love them and serve, uh, help them as best I can, pray for them and obey them until it's disobedient to God to do so. And maybe that'll be helpful for you to even think of all authority as a gift as maybe you head off to work this week and your boss, you just can't stand the dude. You're like, I'm so tired of him, so tired of her. And you recognize, you know, actually, though, God's made them authority in my life. And uh, they might not be a perfect authority like Jesus, but I'm to honor them and to respect them because in doing so, I'm, I'm ultimately respecting and honoring God and honoring Jesus. And he's given as head over all things to the church. You know, uh, random story, some of you have heard this, but, you know, I was a youth pastor here for a number of years before I became uh, the lead pastor. And at the time, the title was senior pastor. You know, that was the application. It was a senior pastor at Wallace Bible. And, um, well, I, I, I was like 32, 31 years old, whatever it was at the time. And um, I remember thinking, senior? Man, I'm, I'm not that old yet. And senior means like lots of experience. I don't, I don't have any experience doing this. What, what do we, what am I senior, who am I senior over? I'm younger than, than a lot of people here who, have, who are probably godlier than me and know more about the Bible than me. Who am I to be a senior pastor? Then I remembered 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, where Peter says that Jesus is the chief shepherd, where he's talking to the elders about shepherding and loving people well, and he says, when the chief shepherd appears... And I said, you know what? When the senior pastor appears. So without asking anybody, when I ordered business cards, I put lead pastor instead of senior pastor. And that was, I guess, maybe the first thing I did was just change my title. If for no other reason than to remind me, Jesus is the senior pastor of our church. I get to lead for a while. And one day, by God's grace, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, my hope is I'm not the last pastor here. That This church continues long after I'm gone. Somebody else will be the lead, but Jesus will always be the senior pastor. He's the head of the church. It's all about him. So the church exists to worship Jesus. These last two will move uh, much quicker through. Uh, the church also exists to love Jesus, to love him. You might say, isn't loving Jesus worshiping him though, Josh? What do you mean? Uh, it is, 100% it is. But uh, by saying we exist to love Jesus, in this instance I'm saying we exist to love him in the sense that uh, of growing uh, to, to love him more and know him more and mature into who he's called us to be. 
Do you realize that's a call on your life? You're supposed to become, and I'm supposed to become, more and more and more like Jesus all throughout our lives. That's, that's God's call on the church, to love Jesus and become like him. Uh, there's a few passages toward this end. Uh, if, uh, we'll look at just a couple of them. Ephesians 4, verse 11, uh, Paul writes, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and in the knowledge of God the Son. See, see, loving him more, becoming more like him, knowing more about him, to mature manhood, and you could add and womanhood there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Who's that? Jesus. And to, to love him and to become more and more like him, from whom the whole body grows with the growth that's from God. And, and Romans 8, you know verse 28, right? That, that God works all things for good uh, in the lives of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But do you know the next verse? Do you know verse 29? For, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To be conformed into the image of his son. See, the, 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 the goal for you and the goal for me is to become more and more and more like Jesus. To become more like him. Paul also writes to the Colossians. We've launched off of there this morning. But in chapter 2, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worshiping of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. But, he says in verse 19, uh, and those people not holding fast to the head, in other words, hold fast to Jesus from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and, and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. Grow up into him. As Jesus would say, it abide in him. Stay close. He says, abide in me and I in you. The branch, a branch can't bear fruit all by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And ultimately he says, uh, apart from me, you can do Nothing. See, the church is all about Jesus. Apart from Jesus, the church, we're wasting our time. And we can do nothing because it's all about him. Mark 3, uh, Mark writes, he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. You know, he's, he's, he's appointed us and, and gathered us to be with him and to send us. You know, if you call Wawasee home, if you call our church family home, this is your family, we, we want you to do three things. Did you know this? Three things. Number one, we want you to gather with us every week. Gather and worship and, and show up, right? We want you to show up regularly. The second thing we want every person to do is not just gather, but grow. We want you to, not, don't just show up, grow up. Get connected in a growth group. Get connected in a life group, in, in some growth ministry, I should say, like Forge or or women's ministry, or, or a life group, get signed up at one these next few weeks. If, if, if you don't see one that appeals to you, just sign your name up on the, hey, find me a group, we'll find you one, we'll get you connected. And then third, go. Gather, grow, go. Those are the three things we want you to do. We want you to go and serve somewhere, because Jesus has sent us out. See, the church exists to worship Jesus, to love Jesus, and finally, 
to help others know Jesus, to help others know him. That's, by the way, that's what Jesus, senior pastor Jesus, that's what he tells us to do. That's his sermon. Matthew 5, from one of his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And in John 20, Jesus said to the disciples, and he says thus, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. See, so our thing is to worship Jesus, our thing is to love Jesus and become like him, and our thing is to go out in Jesus' name and to help other people know him. We're sent, do you know this? Have you memorized this? If you have, say it with me. We're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Friends, that's our mission. That's our thing. We're sent to love. Now, you might be thinking, though, okay, you know, I can... I can worship Jesus, I can love Jesus, I can even go out and love people. I can do that, Josh, but that whole invite piece or like helping them know Jesus and telling them about Jesus, I don't know that I have that in me. Well, I have good news for you on two fronts. First, um, God's the one who does the work. You just have to be obedient. And also, in September, we're going to have a series called Pearl where we're going to help you toward that end. Everyone in our church and, and teach you just a, a method of evangelism that'll be helpful for you in, in reaching out to those you, you care about in your life and maybe work along or live alongside. And uh, you can look forward to that. We're actually even going to have a five-week devotional for you uh, where you can study God's Word together with all of us. And uh, that's coming in September. But maybe you're still not convinced. Well, uh, let me just share this illustration then as we close. I wonder, have you ever heard of uh, the battle or sometimes the rescue of Dunkirk, World War II? If you're not familiar with, with it, let me tell you the story. In the spring of 1940, uh, Hitler's panzer divisions, big tanks, uh, they were just mopping up French troops and Allied forces. And uh, the Allied forces realized if we don't get out of here, we're going to totally lose the whole war. And so they identified some places along the coast of France where they were going to get out, and a couple of them got destroyed by the Nazis, and so they ended up at a one called Dunkirk, about 40 miles, a little less than that, from, the English, from, from England across the English Channel as the crow flies. And at Dunkirk, eventually, about 400,000 troops gathered. 400,000 troops gathered on the beach of allied forces. Well, um, in England, uh, Churchill was instrumental in coming up with a plan called Operation Dynamo, where they were going to go rescue these guys and evacuate them out of, uh, off the battlefield. Well, uh, here was the problem, though. With all the ships of the Royal Army that were available, they could actually only fit about 17,000 people on those ships. There's 400,000 on the beach, and they're sitting ducks. They're just waiting to get blown up by the Nazis. There was a movie by the name of Dunkirk about four years ago that came out. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's very true to the story and true to life. Um, But it, it was looking pretty bleak. And then on the horizon, as the despairing world was watching, by the way, the House of Commons was told, uh, prepare for some hard and heavy tidings. This wasn't going to end well. 
But then this bizarre fleet of ships began to appear. There were, um, on the horizon of the English Channel, there were, there were trawlers and tugs and fishing boats and lifeboats and sailboats and pleasure craft. And there was an island ferry named Gracie Fields. There was uh, the America's Cup Challenger Endeavor. And all of these small ships and small vessels were manned by civilian sailors. In fact, there ended up being, uh, by many counts, about 850 vessels, give or take, total. Tiny little boats that came across the channel. And one by one, under, the, under fire, they, they rescued, uh, I'll give you the exact number, uh, 338,682 men off the shore of Dunkirk and brought them back to safety. And if that haven't, hadn't happened, uh, the war probably would have been lost, many scholars believe. Or certainly it would have, been, uh, would have faced a much harder battle. Well, the little ships of Dunkirk, I, I want to submit to you, are a lot like the church. They're a lot like the church. Uh, they, they sailed from England uh, to Dunkirk and uh, they were helping rescue all these British and French and other allied soldiers. And this little armada of ragtag ships, flawed little vessels that were never, whoever thought they could actually rescue people, but they went on a mission by which they were commissioned to go rescue people. And the church is very much like that. We're a whole group of ragtag individuals who are very flawed and very messed up, sent on a mission by Almighty God, by Jesus himself, the head of the church, on a rescue mission, a rescue operation, to help people know him and to bring them back to safety. And friends, uh, you might just be a, a tiny little canoe with a hole in the bottom, and an oar. But do you know uh, God in his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus can use you if you just be obedient, put your boat in the water, and set sail? Let's, let's do that together as a church family. Let's, let's worship Jesus. Let's love him and grow to be more like him. And let's live out our mission of, of rescuing people who need to know him. Amen? Let me pray.